Are you ready for God's word today? Yes. Ready for the word of God? Me too. I am so excited about the word God has given us today and the verse, the, the, the passage that God has given us. And I'm so excited because um, even though I usually know what our worship team is going to lead us in worship, the, the songs, the set, if you will, for worship, uh, I usually know that. They usually do not know what I'm going to be talking about. They just, I don't, you know, send them you know, our production team does. They get a copy of our outline, obviously, but or my outline, but the, the worship team does. And when I came in and I heard the worship, I think you'll understand as we get in the message. When I came in and I heard the worship, I'm like, Lord, I know now. You know, I, I thought I, you know, how many know sometimes when it comes to hearing, like for me, hearing, when I say I'm hearing God, I, if I'm real sure, it's about 85 to 90%. And then sometimes it's like, I'm hearing God and it's about 68%. You understand? And so I knew, I really felt like I was like, God, I'm about 90% sure this is exactly the word you want me to bring. But now having heard the worship, I'm 100% sure. So it's going to be a good day. Okay. It's going to be a good day, somebody. So get your copy of God's word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And then if you just want to be a Bible nerd, then you can turn to Genesis chapter three and mark that with your thumb if you're a professional Bible user and marker, okay? And if you're a clicker, then that makes it easy. You just click the Genesis next, all right? But Genesis three, second Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Now, how do we get second Corinthians? So let me give you the back story. And, and some of this I even gave last week because we were in Corinthians last week and first Corinthians last week. But um, so first and second Corinthians are corrective epistles, meaning uh, that they were letters written to the church because there were problems that needed to be corrected somebody. And so um, we know that um, 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians because the first letter to the Corinthians was lost. We kind of talked about that last week. So what we know is 1 Corinthians is actually that second letter after the other one was lost. And so here's the problem that happened. And we talked about this in, in the Corinthian church. Uh, Paul actually lived in Corinth for about 18 months and he started this church that we know is the Corinthian church or the church of Corinth. And then after he leaves, they run into some problems. And they had really, honestly, five, five different problems. We talked about these. And it was d divisions, food, sex, gathering, and the resurrection. They're like, they're confused about all these things. Other teachers had come in with different teachings. And so Paul hears about this. And so he writes a letter. It's lost. He sends Timothy with another letter. And if you think about those five things, that's really how the book of 1 Corinthians is divided up in, based on those five topics that he is um, trying to speak to. And, um, and so then what happens is um, the church of Corinth said, you know, Paul, we're just, basically they reject Paul's correction. They're like, you know what? We're good. And, uh, and so then Paul, <laughs> Paul comes to the church of Corinth in what is known in scripture. You can read it in second Corinthians. He called it a painful visit. In fact, Paul, you know, Paul would say some things I'd get canceled if I said, y'all, because I'm serious. Like Paul, he didn't mix words all the time. In fact, there's this line that I like this while this is all going on. He said, whether I come with love or a whip is up to you. <laughs> yeah. How would you like that to be my sermon title today? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, not good. Right. And so, but Paul, he follows up with a painful visit. Most of the church comes back and accepts him as, and because he said this, he said, you, there's a lot of teachers, but you have one spiritual father. I, I am your spiritual father. I, I'm the one that led you to Christ. 
I'm the one that started this church. I have no need. You're not paying me anything. I, I don't have any motivation here other than I love you and I want you to live the life God's called and created you for. And so this is what he's trying to explain. And he's saying all these other teachers come in with all this crazy teaching and whatnot. And so after the painful visit, most of the church returns. They kind of get settled in. Okay, Paul, we hear you. We kind of got distracted and got caught up in some other things. Um, and so when he writes 2 Corinthians, the first part of it is just kind of the closure of the reconciliation. There's a section where he talks about generosity. But when we get to chapter 11, he is actually um, still speaking to some of the church that's divided and fragmented. And so I, but he expresses um, a concern, and I want us to read that today. I, I call this, this series, because we're starting a series today, I call this series Fixated. Fixated. And it's going to make sense as we go, but we're going to use this really one verse from Paul's um, letter to the Corinthians and what he expresses to the church of Corinth. And I'll show you, it makes sense as we go. But we're in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, but I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. This is what I pray and say to you every weekend. <laughs> I do. I just hope you'll put up with me. And then he says it again. Yes, please put up with me. I just want to say thank you for putting up with me. Amen. Um, Paul, I feel you, brother. Um, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Now, this is going to be our kind of key verse that we're going to work on for several weeks. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And he says this, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus that I preached, if, if you receive a different spirit from the spirit other than the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. In other words, he's saying you're allowing that and you should not. There is no other Jesus than the one I preached there is no other gospel than the one I preach, and there is no other spirit but the Holy Spirit. And so he is, he is, again, trying to talk to a group of Christians who he believes and he is fearful that they have been led astray, that something has rivaled their devotion to God, and they are being led off or distracted. And here's what he said. He said, I'm afraid that in the same way Eve was deceived, you're being deceived. So let's go to Genesis 3 and let's just kind of have what happened there and understand what happened there a little bit. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. Just some Bible trivia because while you're sitting around drinking coffee this morning, you're probably praying, oh Lord, I hope he gives us some Bible trivia answers. Um, but uh, this is NIV. But if you were to look in the New King James or even the ESV, it would say the serpent was more crafty than any of the beast of the field. Beast of the field. The phrase beast of the field, if you'll study it throughout the entirety of the Bible, you'll find it's not talking about lions and tigers and bears. It's actually talking about demonic spirits. That's why when Jesus was tempted, it said Satan was there and so were all the wild beasts of the field. And, and what it's saying, obviously, if you're going to tempt Jesus, you don't come, Satan didn't come along. He, he brought an entourage, but it was him and a group of demonic powers or or demons, what you might know as demons. So when it's saying the serpent's more cunning, that, that word cunning, obviously crafty, trickery, those type of things, it's not saying that the serpent was more cunning than the, the giraffe because we're not actually talking about a serpent. 
And we know we're talking about the devil because when you read when you read Revelation, it calls Satan a serpent very clearly. So we know the serpent is actually Satan, and we know and we know that it's not saying that the serpent is more cunning than an elephant. No, he's saying now the serpent Satan was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. You do understand. God made all the angels. We believe angels fought, fell with Satan. So again, it's true to context. Are you hearing me? And he said to the woman, Ethel, get your praise. Talking about the demons. <laughs> I came to be encouraged, preacher. I just hang in there, Bubba. Um, he's, he was more crafty than the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you shouldn't or you mustn't eat of the, of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat of this fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And Satan said, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it, and she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. I was playing around with titles for this, but you see, when they ate it, their eyes were open, and she saw, so when she saw that the fruit was good. Um, so I'm going to talk about, we're in a series called Fixated. Today I'm going to talk about kind of how we see. And I was playing around with sermon titles. I'm like, I just, I couldn't figure out if I wanted to call it Fix Your Focus or if I wanted to call it Double Vision. Oh, I had a lot of cool ones. But, but I finally just invented a word. I hyphenated it, which is legal. If you're a grammarian, I'm not a grammarian. But I called it this, Die Vision. Die vision. And that's what I want to talk about today. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we have gathered in your presence and you are here with us. And we can sense and know, God, we know you're in this room. God, we felt your presence as we worship today. And so, Holy Spirit, I know you're here and we don't want to miss a moment with you. So I pray you'd help us all to lean in, all to stay focused. But God, more than anything, I pray that all, every person, whether online or in this room, every person would hear your voice and you would speak words of life and truth to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. <clears throat> amen. I served one time with a pastor and, and you know, when you're, when you're leading an organization or a church, you have a vision, like we have a vision. Um, we, you know, our, kind of our vision is on earth as it is in heaven. Our mission is to help everyone believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple and build God's kingdom because that is how you see heaven come to earth. So if our vision is we want to see on earth as it is in heaven, we need a way to do that. So our mission is, well, if we help people believe in Jesus, belong to a family, become a disciple and build God's kingdom, we will see heaven come to earth. And so you got to have a vision. And what he said one time, because there was a church situation, we were talking about a church situation, it's a different church. And they kind of had this faction that rose up, kind of like what Paul is talking about with the Corinthians. We, we now have these people who are following me, but we still have this faction over here that, that won't listen to sound teaching. And, and what happened is it was divided because there was division is division. Yes. It's two visions, right? When, you have, when an organization or a church or whatever it ends up with two visions, it will die because it's divided. And a house divided cannot. So what, what, when I was reading this, 
and, and thinking about what to call the message, I thought, I want to call it division. Because this is what I see. Paul is sitting here and he's talking to a group of people and they have gotten distracted with things they shouldn't have gotten distracted, listening to things they shouldn't have been listening to that weren't helpful. Some people even with bad motives and the church has become divided. And more than that, people have become divided. Not just from each other, but there are people divided in themselves. Is this it or is this it? Yes. I'm going this way, maybe I'm going this way. And what I want you to understand is Paul is like, hey, I'm concerned here. Because it seems that the same thing the enemy did with Eve, he is doing with you. The same strategy he used with her, he is using with you. And here was the strategy. Eve was fine until, until he caused something to come into focus she hadn't been focused on. And you need to understand that many times this is how the enemy works. The enemy works by dividing our attention, by dividing our focus, by getting us focused on the wrong things. And I think sometimes kind of like the church in Corinth and kind of like Eve, we forget there is an enemy at work because we think, no, I get to choose what teaching I like. I get to choose what truth I live. And we start thinking the enemy will show us something, but he works so subvertly, right? So he, he works like in like a stealth mode, right? Where we don't know. Because if Satan showed up and said, hey, I think you ought to have an affair, you'd say, no, not at all. That's not how he works. How he works is he gets someone to catch your eye. Yeah. Like you don't ever see him because he's never seen. He doesn't want to be seen. He wants you to see something else. And so there are a lot of, you think, I think there are a lot of people making decisions like the church in Corinth and, and they think it's all about them and what they want, what feels good to them, what feels right to them. And they don't even understand they are being manipulated or even this tricked by a very cunning and crafty enemy who is set on one thing, to kill, steal, and destroy. And they think they're just making surface level decisions about what seems right to them or about what they want, and they don't even know, no, he's the one that put the thing that caught the eye that got you to turn just a little bit. And Paul's like, hey, I'm concerned, church. Because you've gotten focused on some things that are taking the wrong. I'm concerned because something's caught your eye. I'm concerned because you're, you're moving away from God. And you don't even know the enemies at work because you just think you're living your life and making your choices and making your decisions. And so Paul is writing. He's saying, hey, I'm concerned because here's what I know. A house divided can't stand. And if he can divide your focus... You cannot win. If you can divide your focus, you can't win. And so this series, Fixated, I, I want to I take this today, and as we launch into this series, I want to tell you some things about your focus and what happens and how it works. So if you're taking notes, write these down. We've got four points. We're going to work through them pretty fast. But if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, today would be a good day to start. Because <laughs> it's going to help you, I promise. So number one, number one, you move towards what you fixate on. You need to know this. You move towards what you fixate on. Th think about this. Satan doesn't come, I guess, say this. The, the way Satan 
defeats people is not to get them fixated on him, but to get them fixated on something else. Like the way he, he, same way with Eve, we're about to see this, but the, but the way he, he won against Eve was not, hey, I'm the devil, serve me. That wasn't it at all. The way he captured her was to say, hey, have you, have you looked at this? Like there's something good over here I think you may be missing. And we need to understand, listen to me, that, that our focus determines our direction. Um. There's a, there's a term called target fixation. Um, I learned this term because I have a motorcycle license. With me, if it has a motor, I typically want to try to drive it. <laughs> I've always been this way. I, there's something wrong with me, I know. But if it's, you know, I'll try it. Well, I'm, I'm older now, and I have children and life insurance, so I think more clearly now than I used to. But I always was like, oh, if it's got, you know, a motor, I'll try. Like, if it's a boat, I'll drive. If it's an ATV, if it's a motorcycle, I've just always been there. I have a pilot's license because if you put a motor on something with wings, you can see what that does. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I've just always been there. But when I got my motorcycle license, there was this term in the, in the training uh, that said target fixation, target fixation. And, and what it is, you can Google it, by the way, and what it, what it is, the way it applies to like a person with a motorcycle is um, when you're riding a motorcycle, motorcycles are more about balance than just a car. I mean, a car is kind of like this, but a motorcycle exaggerates it. And that is with a motorcycle, it goes where you're looking, right? And so the problem is if there's something in the road, if there's a hazard in the road and you get fixed on the hazard, it doesn't matter that you want to miss it, you will drive the motorcycle right into the hazard, right? And that's why they say you don't get fixed on the hazard. You fix your focus on the path to miss the hazard, right? Same thing when, when you go skiing. A lot of, a lot of new skiers, um, and I'm, that would be my category of skiing, is um, I don't even know if I qualify for novice, but um, hot mess, I probably qualify for that. Um, but, but, you know, what happens is, you know, you have, you know, slopes and occasionally you have trails, you can go through trails. And what, what happens is a lot of times if you've got a new skier and they're kind of losing, maybe out of control or whatever, and there's a tree, they will start looking at the tree because they don't want to hit the tree. The problem is if you look at the tree, you hit the tree. So they teach you don't look at the tree, look between the trees because you're, you're going to go wherever your eyes are fixed. Like what I focus on determines, listen, what you focus on in life determines where you end up in life. There are some people today who are still victims from something that happened 20 years ago because that's all they focus on. And they have lived 20 years as a victim. And it's not because what happened to them wasn't real or painful or hard. It's not that it should be disregarded or, or not validated. It's the fact that they've been so fixed on it for so long, they're still living out their victimhood from something God could have delivered them from and moved them beyond a long time ago, but they're fixed on it. And you know that because no matter what the topic is, somehow it comes back around to that person. Because you get in a conversation with them, well, I tell you what, you know, when I was... And, and listen, and they are missing, here's the, the, the fear, they're missing God's best for them because they're focused on something that happened to them that is legitimate and valid, but it should have never become their God. Yeah. Um, when, when Eve is sitting here, or when, let me say it this way, when James is talking about 
sin, he puts sin in three categories. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. By the way, you see all three of those in Genesis chapter 3. Because Eve saw that it, the, the fruit was good for food. So there's the lust of the eyes. Um, it was desirable. That's the lust of the flesh. And it would make one wise. That's the pride of life. So you, the Bible always is so cool because it always interprets itself. And so when James says there are these three, essentially lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So think about this. Now, we, most time when, when we talk about lust, we all kind of know what that is, right? That's when we desire things probably we shouldn't desire, right? Like we should probably desire celery, <laughs> right? But Reese's peanut butter cups are so much more wonderful. Amen. It's like a Holy Spirit experience every time. Like I tried something new uh, last night. I tried something new. Somebody uh, had these Reese's peanut. They were white chocolate Reese's peanut butter cup thins. And I wasn't sure how I'd feel about this. Because the first recipe is so good. Sometimes you don't want, if it's not broke, don't fix it, y'all. You understand what I'm saying? Because I've had some candy where they tried to fix something that wasn't broken. I'm like, y'all messed this up. But they said, no, you got to try these. I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of the original. I kind of like the original. They said, try them. I put in there. My tongue came out of my mouth, slapped me three times on the cheek. <laughs> I said, wow, this God has moved powerfully. Um, I think we all understand when we're talking about the lust of the flesh, they were talking about desires that we have that are not healthy desires, not good desires. Because we were broken, we've fallen, things have happened. You know, we weren't born, we had to be born again, but we were born wrong the first time with a wrong set of desires. Why we had to be born again, right? But when you're talking about the lust of the eyes, that's different. Because, see, the lust of the flesh is something I desire. The lust of the eyes is something that catches my eye. In other words, I didn't know I wanted it until I saw it. Right. In fact, a lot of times the way things become lust of the flesh is they were a lust of the eye. Something caught my eye. I didn't even know I wanted it. But once it caught my eye, I decided to pursue it. And it could have been a job or a promotion. It could have been status or a position. It could have been. I mean, let's just be honest. Some of you drove to church in a lust of the eye. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying you didn't know you wanted a new car till you drove through the lot. How many know you never drive through a car lot unless you know you want a car? Because they all glisten and shine and I'm half redneck and they're all shiny. Right? And I didn't even know. It's just like there are some things, some of you may have worn to church today what you didn't even know you wanted till you walked through the mall and it caught your eye. Right? And you're like, I got to have one of those. Some, some of us are making payments on something that caught our eye a long time ago. So that's how, how it works, but we need to understand that's how the lust of the eye works. The problem is many times what, what ends up as lust flesh starts as lust of the eye. And what the enemy knows and what he does, remember, is if I want to capture them, I just can't come to them openly. I can't come to them overtly and just say, I'm the devil and I'm here to kill, steal, and destroy. No, no. In fact, if I'm the devil and I'm smart, just like this cunning, this word cunning is like strategical craftiness would be another way to say it. In other words, he's really good at being crafty. Well, if I'm really smart, I don't come to you blatantly and openly and say, I'm about to kill, steal, and destroy. What I do is I remain unseen, but I get you to see something else. And that's exactly what happens to, um, 
to Eve and to Adam because listen, because listen, what 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 catches your eye and you start that lust the eye, you start to desire it, and whatever you start desiring, you move towards. Right? Whatever you desire, you move towards. Um, there's an interesting story in Genesis. Um, so I want you to think about that progression. It catches your eye and you desire it and then you move towards it. Uh, in Genesis, a story about Abraham and he had a nephew Lot and they were farmers, were sheep herders. They were, you know, livestock people. And uh, they were having some problems running their flocks together and employees and things. So Abraham says, hey, we're going to divide up and you, we need to divide, but you pick which part of the land you want and I'll take the other part. And we know that Abraham, you know, Lot says, well, I'll take this part. And Abraham says, well, I'll take this part. If you fast forward the story, though, what's interesting is, you know, Lot was with Abraham. Abraham's following God. Lot would have seen the faithfulness of God in so many ways and heard the faithfulness of God through Abraham. So I'm going to say it this way. Lot is a church boy. Okay, he's a church boy. What's interesting is if you read his story, though, he ends up in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah, which were actually two cities. And uh, these two cities made um, Vegas look like church camp. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they, these cities were rough. They were very perverted. All types of idolatry, sexual sin, all just absolute craziness. And you can read some about this. I'm not going to get into it, but you can read. The question is, how did a good church boy who was acquainted with the faithfulness of God end up in Sodom and Gomorrah? How did that happen? I'll show you. It's in one verse, Genesis 13, 12. It says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. Here's what he did. He, he set up camp, and he said, man, that city is so pretty. I'm just going to put my tent where the front porch looks out over that city. And he didn't realize that what you set your focus on determines where you're going to end up. See, what, what you set your eyes on determines the direction of your life. Now, we could talk about things like Sodom and Gomorrah. We could talk about sexual sin. We could talk about pornography. We could talk about all types of things. But what if we talked about things that sometimes we don't even know we're fixated on? Like an offense. Like a fear. Right? What, what, what happens... Where do I end up when I get focused on an offense? Boy, it got quiet in this church. Are y'all still breathing? Everybody check the pulse of your neighbor right now. Praise the Lord. What happens? Where do you think you're going to end up? And we live in a world that, listen, nowadays you don't need your own offense. You just take up someone else's. Right? There's so many laying around every day. There's an opportunity to pick up. And some people are mad about things they're not even real sure about and didn't even happen to them, but it sounded like they should have been mad about it. Right? And they're making Instagram posts about it when they're not even real sure what happened, but something happened. And I'm mad about it. Did it happen to you? No. Why are you mad? Because... I should be. No, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't. Pick. But what happens? What happens when you get fixated on an offense? Where are you going to end up? Let me help you. Bitterness. 
Where are you going to end up? Anger. Where are you going to end up without any peace? You know what I found about people who are highly offended about everything? They're never peaceful about anything. I don't know about you. It seems to me I can have offense or I can have peace. I think I'd like to have peace. And God gave me this miraculous mechanism to move from offense to peace, and it's called forgiveness. Right? Listen, an offense is an event that happened. Being offended is a choice you made. Because when someone hands you an offense, you can choose to give it back. And when you see someone else's offense laying on the street, you do not have to pick it up. You really can say, not today, Satan. I mean, you really can. Right? Because, listen, when I get fixated on things, what I fixate determines what I'm going to move towards. It's going to determine the directionality of my life. Here's the second thing. You become like what you fixate on. Um, I shared this a couple weeks ago, but it, it certainly bears repeating today. And we were talking about worship. This is a couple weeks ago. And what I said is that God, in, in fact, Jesus says uh, to, to the woman at the well, he says, uh, God is looking for worshipers, looking for worshipers. In other words, God designed us to be worshipers, Right? It didn't say he was looking for victors. It didn't say he was looking for church people or I mean, you fill in the blank. Uh, even warriors. We're not looking for warriors. No, he's looking for worshipers. God designed us to be worshipers. But why? Is it because God's like narcissistic or something and needs us to worship him? No, I think God's like, if you don't ever worship God, I'm pretty sure he's still going to be God. Right? Um, you know, I think sometimes when people say, well, I've made God mad or you know, it's almost like what I do manipulates his mood or behavior. I'm like, then you should be God because you've got to make God codependent upon your behavior. I think he's always constant. He is God and he changes not. Jesus is the same yesterday, day, and forever. So don't start thinking like if you don't worship, God's mad at you or if you get something wrong, all of a sudden, no, 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 that's not how it works. God's in a good mood. He's real happy. But he designed us to be worshipers. Why? Think about this. Because that's the best he could do. Why? Because God wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. In other words, God wants us to look like him. And here's the principle. You become like what you worship. So God created us as worshipers so we would worship him because what you behold, you become. And when we worship him, we become like him. We with all unveiled face, Paul said, we all with unveiled face as beholding, that's seeing, that's worshiping the glory of God. We are changed into that same image from glory to glory as by the spirit of the Lord. In other words, when I behold him, the Holy Spirit works in me to make me look like him. So the principle is still this. You become like what you behold. You become like what you worship. You become like what you're fixated on. So God knows this, but guess who else knows this? And this is what Paul is saying. Man, I'm concerned because he's gotten your attention. Let, let me read a couple of scriptures. This is so cool. Uh, Psalm 115. Look at this. It says, but they're idols. Now, you may be saying, well, I don't have idols. Like, I don't have little statues around my house. An idol, let me give you a better definition. An idol is anything you have to check with first. So an idol, when you're trying to make a decision, or even if you're trying to follow God, anything you have to check with first. So an idol could be fishing. 
Because there may be people today that's like, you know what, I was going to go to church, but I checked the weather. And it's a great day for fishing. So I'm going fishing. See, they checked with something before they could follow God. Boy, are y'all fishermen? It got really quiet. I mean, y'all are here. You're not in trouble. No one's in trouble today. Okay, no one's in trouble. I'm just trying to help. But an idol, you know, it can be, you can make an idol out of your offense. You can make an idol out of money or out of a promotion or a position. You can make an idol out of anything when it takes that first place and you have to check with it. So just so we're clear, idols are not just little statues, okay? But their idols, look at this, are silver and gold made by human hands. They have, now look at this. So here are their idols. They're made by human hands. But look at this. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, but they can't feel. They have feet, but they can't walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Now look at verse 8, because to me this is, man, this is something. Those who make them, in other words, those who are going to serve them, will be like them. And so will all, look at this, who trust in them. Here's, here's what he's saying. This is amazing. See if you can catch this. You become like what you worship. Now, here's the thing. Here's what he's saying about idols. They have eyes, but they can't see. And they have ears, but they can't hear. They have a nose, but they can't smell. Think about this. What is scent in the Bible? It's discernment. He's saying, when you follow, when you follow idols, your senses become dull. And you can't see. Remember what Jesus said? Those who have eyes to see... He even said this to one group, you have eyes, but you can't see. He wasn't talking to a, a school of the blind. He was talking to people, really religious people. He said, he said you have ears. And he would say this, he who has ears, let him hear. He wasn't talking to a, a group of deaf people. He was talking to people who were serving something else. And in their case, they were serving religion. And religion had become their idol. And it had caused their senses to become dull. And here's what he said. You're going to be like what you worship. So think about that. You're going to have dull senses. You're not going to be able to see. Not going to be able to perceive. Not going to be able to discern. Not going to be able to know truth. Not going to be able to walk. Not going to be able to feel. I mean, think about this. You become like this. And here's what's bad. He said this. And, and then if they're your idol, you're going to trust in them. So here's what he's saying. You're going to become like them and you're going to put your trust in them. This is the danger of getting fixated on something else because if it's not God, I'm not, it's not just I'm going to become like it. I'm going to start trusting in it. Right? Like if I really want to know who my God is, I start asking myself, who, what am I trusting in today? What am I counting on today? What am I looking at today? What am I looking toward today? Because here's what God knows. And this is why he's saying this. Listen, this is why he's saying it. Because he's saying, hey, because if you'll look at me, man, you're going to look like me. If you'll look at me, your eyes are going to be open. Your ears are going to be open. Right? Um, I, I, was, it, I was blown away. And I probably shouldn't have said this, but now I'm in the middle of it. But I saw a clip from a, a person, and he was using the Word of God to justify, um, and I'm going to say it not with hatred or anything, but he used the story of Lazarus and the fact that the Bible said, come out, to say, this is Jesus supporting and promoting 
alternative lifestyles and saying we should come out and be filled with the Spirit. And, um, and I'm not against people of alternative lifestyles. I'm not here to hate on anybody. I will only love you and I will not judge you because I have my own sin. Okay? But the Bible's real clear on what sin is. Right? So I can't, I can't change the Bible as much as I love you. I can't change the Bible for you. Um, neither can I change it for me when I sin. I certainly wish I could. <laughs> but there are times the Bible says, no, no. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> but what was so scary to me is this was, he called himself a believer and was very emphatic and very passionate delivering this plea that was so, um, it was just so wrong. It was what we call, if you interpret the Bible, it's called eisegesis, where, whereas I start with something I want the Bible to say and find a word or phrase and put my idea in the, in the text. That's called eisegesis. The way the Bible is studied is exegesis, meaning I look at the text and the author and the totality of Scripture, and I let the Bible tell me what the author is trying to tell me, not me injecting my ideas into the Bible. But there's a lot of this that happens, right? And I'll probably hit this in a later message probably shouldn't have hit it all today, but now we're in the middle of it. But my point is what I felt bad about this young man, because this young man, probably a wonderful young man, but I said he can't see and he can't hear because he's made something else as God. He's made his passion as God. He's made his own desire as God. And now he's manipulating the word of God in order to validate his idol. And, and my heart broke for him. I don't have any hatred. I'm not, no animosity. I'm not mad. But my heart broke. And I thought about the scripture. I thought, man, he has eyes and he can't see. He has ears and he cannot hear. He has a nose, but he cannot discern truth. And it broke my heart. And I thought, and he's going to trust in and become like what he's fixated on. In other words, let me say it this way. He's going to go more, in my opinion, into bondage and brokenness. Yeah. And I don't think that's my opinion. I think that'd be God's opinion if you study his word. And it was sad. But, but here's the reality is, the reality is you become like what you fixate on. Here's the third thing. The third thing is you're filled with what you fixate on. Like, th think about this. So you have Eve, and Adam and Eve are perfect, so they would have been filled with the life of God. I mean, God breathed into them, life of God, right? So what are they filled with? Well, they're filled with peace, and they're filled with joy, right? I mean, they, they are filled with God. There's no hatred or worry or shame or fear. I mean, none of that. But what happens when, when Satan says, hey, have you looked at this fruit? Have you looked at this fruit? Have you seen this? And it says, when Eve saw... When she turned her focus and she got fixated on that, I'm going to say, now we know after they fell, they experienced, the first thing they experienced was shame and fear. Because it said as soon as that, their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked, so they made clothes, you know, fig leaf clothing, essentially, covered themselves, and then they hid from God because they were afraid. So we know after they took of that fruit or after they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we know they were shameful and afraid. But I'm going to tell you why, why she, she ate it. I've never seen this before. Follow this. He got her to turn her focus to it. And once she was fixated on it, it filled her with something, and that was this, fear. 
I'm afraid I'm missing something. Right? A little FOMO for you. Fear of missing out, right? And I'm telling you right now, that's what I believe happened. And when she fixated on it, it filled her with something. And how many know, probably everybody in here, we've made a decision based on fear. Has anybody ever done that? It's just me. How many of that, that worked out well for you? It has never worked out well for me to make. And I mean, now there are healthy fears, like running from a snake, that works out well for me. For you. you understand what I'm saying? I mean, let's just be honest, okay? You know, like some of us may be alive today because we ran from the right thing. Amen. So I, I understand that. But I'm just saying, when you live fear-based and make decisions out of fear, it usually doesn't always. And that's what she did. That's what she did. And she was filled with, I, w- I want to show you this, what Jesus said, Luke 11. Verse 33 says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, or but, or, but on a stand. Y'all remember this from, from Kids Church? You know, this little light of mine? Yes. I'm going to let it shine, right? Hide it under a bushel? No. Thank you. Y'all went to my church. <laughs> right? It says, so that those in her may see the light. Look at verse 34, though. So he's talking about candles and light and on a stand and being able to see. So that when you come in, you can see. Watch this, verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Here's here's what Jesus said. Now think about this. What I look at determines what's going on inside of here. He said, your eye is the light. And he said, if your eyes are fixed on the light, if, you, if they're focused on the light, your whole being's going to be filled with light. But if something catches your eye and it moves your eyes away from the light and your eyes become dark, it's going to fill you with darkness. Listen, this is where hatred comes from. It's because people got their, their eyes turned away from the light and they started, whether it was an offense or anger, and they're filled with that hatred, with that animosity. Like this is where a lot of perversion, sexual issues, something caught their eye and they turned away from the light and they started fixating on this and and they were filled with darkness. And here's what Jesus is saying. Like you got to be careful, little eye, what you see, right? You got to be careful because your eye is powerful and what you focus on is powerful and what you focus on determines what you're filled with. Do you guys remember Peter from the Bible, Peter? Somebody's like, did we know a Peter? I'm talking about from the Bible. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. Lord. From the Bible. But y'all remember when the disciples are in the boat and the storm comes up and they think they're going to die and then Jesus comes walking across. Remember Peter? Foot and mouth Peter. Speak and then think Peter. Like Peter that I identify with Peter. I will be hanging out with Peter in heaven because we are the same. (laughs) We talk and then think, wow, I probably should have said that. I mean, like, trans, Mount of Transfiguration, Peter's on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there, Moses, right, Elijah, they're all being transfigured in front of him. No one else is talking except Peter. And he doesn't even have anything intelligible to say. He just simply says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Really? That's what you came up with? 
in this moment, you thought that was the narrative we needed? And then God has to answer from heaven and say, this is my son, hear him, listen to him. In other words, Peter, not a time for you to talk right now. Zip it. Like, you know, I, so I get Peter. I understand Peter. And, 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 and here's Peter in the boat, and there's a storm, and Jesus is coming, and here's what Peter does. You know, everybody says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. So what everybody's saying is the Lord. And Jesus is like, yes, it's me, Peter. Lord, if it's you. Now, Peter, didn't we just cover this? <laughs> I thought we just, this is in the manual, Peter. Like, I just told you, it's me. And Peter's response is, but Lord, if it's you. And then you follow Peter a little bit more. And, and, and he says, Lord, if it's you. Now, he already said it was him. But now Peter's like, and Lord, if it's you. And then he says this, because he goes, he's going to one-up himself on dumb. <laughs> and I have done this, so I understand. Because he says, you know, Jesus is like, it's me. And Peter's like, well, Lord, if it's you, then you tell me to get out of this boat and walk on the water in the middle of the hurricane. Now, see, that's not smart. If Peter would have been thinking, he would have said, Lord, if it's you, you tell John to get out of this boat right now and walk on the water. I want proof. Jump. But you know the story. Peter, you know, the Lord's like, well, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat. Now, we give Peter a hard time, but he is the only one that walked on water. Amen. My man, listen. You give me a hard time, but every now and then, blind squirrel on an acorn. You understand what I'm you... <laughs> But he's walking on the, on the water. Now, think about this. He's walking on the water, and his eyes are fixed on Jesus. And as long as his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he's walking on the water. But it said, then he saw the wind. Now, can you see the wind? I can't see wind. Maybe you can. I can't. I can see the effects of it. What's interesting to me is, what did it matter what the wind was doing? You can't walk on water anyway. Like some of you are in the middle of walking out your miracle and you're worried about something else when you shouldn't even be where you're at anyway. What are you worried about that for? That's good. But it says this, he, he got to watching the storm and then he began to sink. Here's the problem. What you look at, you're filled with. Peter was at peace until he got fixed on the storm. And when he got fixed on the storm, he got filled with the storm. And it's one thing to be in a storm. In fact, the first part of his journey on the water tells me you can be in a storm and be peaceful. The second part of the journey tells me, but if you focus on the storm, you will be filled with the storm. And it's one thing to be in a storm. It's another thing to be filled with one. And whatever I focus on, I'm going to be filled with. This is why, like, I think you should pay attention to what's going on in the country very much. I think you should be diligent to get good news. And not just the gospel, but actually credible, legitimate news that's not propaganda. Uh, but I don't watch tons of news. Because most of it's a storm that's trying to fill me. I don't, I pay attention. I know what's going on, but I don't get fixated on certain stories and certain things because I don't want to be filled with that. 
Here, here's the last thing. So let's talk about, talk about the answer. Here, here's the best news I can give you. You determine what you fixate on. You get to determine. I mean, God is so good. He's even given us mechanical mechanism. Watch this. Watch this. I was looking over here. Oh, I'm looking over there. I get to pick. Like I'm looking around. Oh, I'm looking over there. Look at that. And if I don't want to look at anything, like God is so good. He has given me mechanical mechanisms to remind me that I get to control what I focus on. I get to control what I fixate on. And this is what, listen to this. When Paul is talking to the Corinthians, Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, but I'm afraid just as Eve was deceived by the servant's cunning, your minds will somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And here's what he's saying. I'm worried that, that you're going to be led astray from your sincere and, and pure devotion. That word sincere and pure devotion is actually one word in the Greek. And here's probably a, a more clear translation, singleness. Here's what he's saying. I'm concerned that you're going to be led astray from your singleness of devotion. Like Satan is going to divide your devotion. He's going to get you to look at something. He's going to have something else cut your, catch your eye or get your attention because he's trying to divide your devotion. And if he can divide your vision, he can divide your devotion. And Paul's like, I'm concerned. You need to have like univision. You need to be singleness in your devotion. There's singleness here. This is almost like tunnel vision. Like I am following Jesus. I am fixed on Jesus. Now you need to understand why Paul has to remind us of this. And, and let me help you this way. Because you have two ways of seeing. You have two ways. Let me explain. Adam and Eve were in the garden. And before the fall, Adam and Eve could look at a tree where life was on the tree. And they could pick life off the tree and eat it. Does anybody in here have a life tree? Nope. Okay. What about a knowledge tree? Because there's another tree that had knowledge on it, and Adam and Eve could walk over to that tree. In fact, they did, and pulled knowledge off that tree and ate it. Anybody here have a knowledge tree? So they were seeing something, right, that we don't see. Another way to understand this is when the serpent started talking to them, they didn't freak out. Would anybody in here freak out if a snake pulled up beside you? Hey, psst, what's up, man? Uh-uh. Listen, I know we talk to our dogs and our cats or whatever. I talk to my dog all the time. This morning when I left, I hadn't seen the kids yet. I don't know if they were up or not, but I hadn't seen them. So when I left, I told Milo, I said, you're in charge till the kids get up. I'm going to church. I'll be back later. I don't know what he understood, but he went and laid down. You know, I don't know. And, and I know we do that, but I'm going to tell you straight up, if I'd have said, Milo, head, I'm headed to church. The kids are upstairs. You get to be in charge until they get up. We'll be back after church. If he said, hey, that's all right. No problem. I got it. <laughs> like, I'm good. I'm probably going to take a nap and then eat a little bit of kibble. I might play with my ball a little bit till y'all get back. Can we go for a walk? Like, I would have freaked out. <laughs> I would not be here. I would be in a padded room somewhere. But I'm saying they had a way of seeing and knowing, perceiving and understanding that we didn't have because of the fall. When Jesus starts preaching in Matthew chapter 4, he says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven. And, and another way to say that, repent for the kingdom of heaven is present or near. Here's what he's saying. I need you to follow this and, and we'll wrap it up. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the kingdom of heaven's here, but you can't see it. I brought it with me. I'm the king. I brought it with me, but you can't see it because you lost a way of seeing. 
So he said, repent. Why do we repent? Repent is to change the way we think after what? After revelation. Repentance is our response to revelation. And the very simple is how we got saved. We had a revelation. Jesus loved me and died for me. And we said, oh, I'm going to repent then. I'm not going to serve me. I'm going to serve him. Right? Revelation, it really means to unveil in the Bible. It means, in other words, if something was there, but the curtains were pulled back and all of a sudden, whoa, there it is. So Jesus' entire ministry was about unveiling a kingdom that people had lost the ability to see. So he wasn't healing people to convince them that he was God. He was healing people to help them find the kingdom, to help them see. So part of what Jesus did in, in his atoning sacrifice, in fact, Jesus said this. Think about this. This is the power of being born again. So Jesus like, repent. Why? There's a kingdom. You can't see it. It's here, but you can't perceive it. But I brought it, and I'm going to try to reveal it to you. But you know what he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He said, unless you be born again, you can't see the kingdom. So here's what he's saying. Part of being born again is we get spiritual eyes again. We get to see love again. We get to see hope again. We get to see people maybe the way that God sees them and not the way we feel about them. Like, this is part of that. That's why Paul, when he would write, would say things like, we don't walk by sight, we walk by what is faith? It's spiritual sight. Faith, in a way, is seeing. Paul would also say things like to the Ephesians, he prayed, and he said, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be open." Why? So you'd know the hope of your calling, the richness and the inheritance you have in the saints, and the exceeding greatness of God's power towards you. Here's what he's saying. You can't see those things with natural eyes, so I want God to open your spiritual eyes. Paul also would say things that, if you don't understand this, sound really weird. Like he'd say, do not look at what you can see. Okay, what do you want me to look at, Paul? I want you to look at what you can't see. Okay, that seems weird. But literally, that's what he said. Don't look at what you can see. Look at what you can't see because what you can see is temporal. What you can't see is eternal. Fix your eyes on what's eternal. That's what he's telling them. And so you need to understand that with us, we, in the fall, we were born without a way of seeing. When we were born again, we got new eyes. But most of us trust the old ones more so than the new ones. And most of us will live like, and by the way, this is where the enemy works with those eyes that we trust. And this is what Paul's telling the Corinthians. He's like, you guys are not seeing right. You're not, something's caught your focus over here. This is why when Jesus is preaching in Matthew chapter six, he says this, seek first the kingdom of God. And sometimes we think that sounds like a religious mandate when truthfully it's, it's compassion. Because what he's actually saying, listen to me, what he's actually saying is you got to look differently. In other words, he's saying you're looking at clothing and water and food. You are fixed on things you need. And he said, but I'm going to tell you how to get the things you need. Fix your focus on the kingdom. That's what he's saying. He's saying, adjust your focus. Because why? He said, you're going after. This is what he said. The Gentiles, are, they're, they're pursuing. They're going after food and clothes and, 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 and water. And those are good things. But they're going after them because they're fixed on them. They're going after you know, a house or a car or a boat or whatever because they're fixed. They're going after a relationship because they're fixed on it. And he's saying, no, that's not, that's not how it works. 
how it works is you got to set your sight. Seek first the kingdom of God. And here's the principle. There's a earth and heaven work differently. Let me tell you. Let me show you this. In earth, with earth, with our natural eyes, what we see, we will seek. That's what the whole message has been about. What you see, you will seek. With, with Eve, she saw a fruit and she sought after it. Right? Because the way earth works is something natural eyes, something catches your eye and you go after it. Here's how the kingdom works. So earth is what I see, I seek. Here's how the kingdom, here's how heaven works. What you seek, you will see. Because he says, seek first the kingdom and then all these things will be added. Here's what he's saying. What you seek in the kingdom of God, you will eventually see. But the way earth, because these work backwards and because we don't see it with our natural eyes, we can get distracted and caught up with something we see that looks good, that seems good, that we want, whatever it is, that's the way natural vision works. You see it and then you seek after it. And he's like, here's the discipline. Here's how you win. Here's how you overcome. And here's how you see your needs met. Here's how you live in peace. This is how it works. Don't seek after what you see. Seek God and you will see him. Seek God and you will see his provision. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of your faith. You've got to, you've got to set your focus. Because what I focus on, listen, what I focus on is going to determine my direction. It's going to determine what I feel I'm filled with. It's going to determine what I become. And that's why he's saying, listen, you're going to have to trust your eyes your spiritual eyes. It was interesting that the writer of Hebrews, uh, something is Paul, Hebrews 12. I'll give you this and I'm done. Hebrews 12. Um, but it's interesting to me when it says fixing your eyes on Jesus, that word fixing. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought I knew what that word meant. I'm like, oh yeah, it means to turn your focus to. That's fixing your eyes, right? I was intrigued when I looked up that word in the Greek and started studying that word. You know what that word actually means? To turn away from everything else. I was like, wow. He's saying, hey, if you want to run the race, if you because this is what Hebrews 12 says, you know, running the race, throwing off everything, every entanglement, right? He said, if you want to win, here's, here's, the, here's the discipline. You've got to learn to turn your focus away from everything else. In a world that is constantly throwing stuff at you, throwing offenses at you, throwing temptation, a world that's constantly throwing you a way to think. They're throwing you a way to feel. They're throwing you new enemies to be mad at. They're throwing hatred your way and bitterness your way. And at the same time, promising you prosperity and all these, and all the time, this world with your natural eyes, you're catching glimmers of these things. And here's what he's saying. No, 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 no. Here's the secret. Here's the secret. Seek first again. Turn your focus away from everything else and let your focus, your pursuit, and your trust be fixed on Jesus. Don't pursue anything else. Don't trust anything else. Don't focus on anything else. Turn your trust, your pursuit, your focus away from everything else and fix your eyes on Jesus. Because if Satan can divide your vision, you will die. Die vision. Amen. Can you give Jesus praise today?
I want you to stand if, if you would and, and we'll have our prayer team come. We want to pray. If, if you're new today or if you're not new today, whatever it is, we always end by offering prayer and praying for anyone who needs prayer. So we have a team of wonderful people. They'll be here at the front. If you need prayer, if you need a relationship like today, if you're not, if you're not confident in your relationship with Jesus, we want to pray. If you need a relationship with Jesus, you need to be forgiven, whatever the case may be, we want to pray with you, we want to love you. And, and then if you just need prayer for anything, it doesn't matter, you need encouragement, there's a situation, we want to pray with you. But right now, I want everyone, um, if you would bow your head, and I want to pray for you, but I also want us to ask a, a question. I'm going to kind of wait just a minute for everybody to get settled. There we go. I want to ask a question to all of us. Um, and that is this with our heads bound I want us to ask this question God is there anything that I'm focused on that I shouldn't be it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing but I'm, I'm fixated on it so I'm pursuing it or I'm trusting in it whatever it is good or bad I want you to be real honest and just say God is there anything anything at all God that I'm that I'm focused on, that I need to turn away from today. And God, I pray as they ask that question, Lord, if there's anything at all, I pray you'd show it to them so they could turn from it. Because God, we don't want them to be taken captive. We don't want them to miss out on your goodness. We don't want them to fall short of your plan and purpose and provision for their life. And so, God, for all of us, if we, need, if we need to adjust our focus today, if we need to turn away from some things today, show us what those things are. And then I just pray, as, if he shows you some things, I just pray you'd say, Lord, I'm sorry. Just forgive me for that. And I'm going to choose today, whatever that looks like, I'm going to choose to turn away from that. And it may mean that, you know, maybe, I don't know, I may have to end a relationship. I may have to change something. Whatever it is, may have to have a conversation. I don't know, but whatever it is, I may have to do something, but I'm going to turn away. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. And Lord, I just pray you give us courage and strength and grace to do that. Lord, for each of these who have gathered here, Holy Spirit, I just pray you work in our lives. For those watching at home, work in our lives. God, we want to be fixated. We want to be fixed on you. We want to follow you with a pure and simple devotion. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Yes. Hey, listen, I love you so much. If you need prayer, we want you to come and be prayed for for any reason. Everybody else, listen, love you. God bless you. Make sure you get your kids, all right? And have an incredible week. We love you. We'll see you next weekend.